Uh, if you look up at the side screens, you'll see some familiar pictures from a well-known movie, E.T., the extraterrestrial who came and uh, was stuck here on Earth. He wanted to go home, own home. <laughs> come and get me, guys. And eventually, of course, they did come and get him. We've always had a fascination with aliens here in America. I have to confess I was a fan of X-Files when it was on. It was early in our marriage, and I'd turn off the lights and it would freak Lori out. But uh, we had a good time watching that. But it's gone too far. I was watching for, uh, I was at a movie theater waiting for the movie to start. And trailers are longer and longer these days. It's gone like 10 to 15 minutes of trailers. And uh, One of the trailers was for Cowboys and Aliens. I said, this has got to be a joke. But it wasn't a joke. It's a movie uh, that's coming out. Uh, the reason I talk about this is because you are an alien. That's right. You're an alien. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are different. This is not your home. Your home is in heaven. So you're a stranger in this land. And you're fundamentally different from anyone else who's not a Christ follower. There's a soul difference within you. And because of that, you should have a different perspective on life. Not an earthly perspective, but an eternal perspective. You should have eyes on eternity. That's what we're going to unpack this morning. I encourage you to bring your Bibles every week to our time together as we study God's Word. You can open up to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. That's the core passage we're going to be looking at. We're in the midst of a series entitled The Treasure Principle. And this is a principle that's found in Scripture. It's so well unpacked in a little book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. And we're encouraging everybody to pick up a copy of that. It's $5. It's a great read. And pick up a copy at the small group table afterwards and read along with us. Let's look at Colossians 3, 1, and 4. We need to first understand an eternal perspective. Colossians 3, 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let's start out with verse 1 there. It says, For you, or excuse me, since then, you have been raised with Christ. So if you're raised with Christ, that must mean that you are dead at some point. So we go on to Colossians 3 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, let's focus on that. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When you accepted Christ, your position changed. You were a slave to sin. Before you came to Jesus, your position was on this earth. But as soon as you made that decision, you were hidden in Christ. And where is Christ today? 
Christ is at the right hand of the Father. So you are, you're in Christ next to the Father in the throne room of God. That's where your position is. Now your location is 101.15 Algonquin Road, Huntley, Illinois, Springburg Community Church. But your position as God sees you and who you really are, you're in Christ in the throne room of God in heaven. That's where you live. That is your citizenship. That is your home. That is your country. That's so important to understand. If you don't grasp that, it will be very difficult for you to have an eternal perspective. Another verse that speaks of how we're positioned in Christ is Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So as soon as we put faith in Christ, immediately we're replaced in Christ. We were lifted up to the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm a history buff, and I would really love just to spend a day in the Oval Office, kind of like a fly on the wall. It doesn't matter who's president. I'd be interested just to see how it works. It's a very powerful office here in this world. But when I think about it, I'm hidden in Christ, who's seated next to God in the throne room. God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe. So, I mean, the, the Oval Office is kind of like a broom closet, right? I mean, hey, I'm in the throne room of God, and I feel pretty special. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm a child of God. That's something to celebrate, isn't it? No doubt about that. Amen. Amen. Let's talk more about how we're dead in Christ. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, what does that mean? I have been crucified with Christ. Well, what Jesus Christ did for us is that he provided reconciliation with God. We call it the substitutionary atonement. Atonement means reconciliation. It means paying a debt. And that's what Christ did for us. So, when we became a Christ follower, in a sense, at that moment, we were crucified with Christ in the sense that Christ's death was applied to us. So, in a sense, we were crucified with Him because that paid our debt in order that we might have a relationship with God. So we were crucified with Christ. That's what brought us to God. And I no longer live. I no longer live. It's not Dan Harrison. It's not the old Dan Harrison. I used to be a slave to sin and a slave to Satan. But now I'm a slave to God. But Christ lives in me. Christ has taken over my body the Holy Spirit. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So now my life is centered around Jesus Christ, and I live by faith. Every day I need to continue to express faith in Jesus Christ in order to live my life. I'm totally dependent upon him. I'm a brand new person. I'm an alien. I'm no longer of this world. Another verse that summarizes this so well is 
2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So again, we had our sinful nature, and Christ came into us, and he gave us a new nature. He gave us a new capacity. He gave us a new understanding of who God was, a new relationship. My favorite analogy is that of a car. Now, before we become Christians... We have a car and we have a gasoline motor. And we're working really hard to try to please God. And we don't realize that we can't please God by our good works, but we're working with our gasoline motor and God's not impressed. It's not pleasing Him in any way. But when we put our faith in Christ, what happens is, is God rips out that gasoline motor and He puts in an electric motor. Total transformation. That's why... Believe in the doctrine of eternal security. That once a person becomes a Christ follower, they can never lose their salvation because there's such an intrinsic, critical change that happens within you. How can you go back? You can't go back. So you've got this new motor, this electric motor. And this, this motor only is, is powered by one thing, and that's electricity. And who is that electricity? That electricity is God. He's the one who drives you. He's the one who empowers you. Christ is the electricity that pours through you. The idea is that Christ is living his life through you. Now, we're not a hybrid, but we like to think we are. Sometimes we'll switch over to gas, and that's our own power, and we can't live the Christian life that way, but we do it quite often. Now, God, I'll take care of this. I don't need your power for this one. I'll go over to my gas. <laughs> you don't have a gas engine, you know. I mean, it doesn't work. So we need to abide in Christ. We need to let Christ live through us in every possible way if we're going to please the Lord. As we're citizens of heaven, as it says in Philippians chapter 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's fun to travel to different countries, isn't it? Yeah, to visit. But personally, the U.S. is my home. And I like my home. It's not perfect, but this is where God's put me, and I feel very comfortable here. And I like to travel and go different places, but I'm always looking forward to coming home. And that's the same type of orientation we have to have about this earth. This earth is okay. I'm here. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to serve God and all those kind of things. But my heart is devoted to Christ, and I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm eagerly awaiting the time when Christ will return or I'll die and go to be with him. Because that's the goal. The goal is not this earth. The goal is Jesus Christ. And it goes on, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's part of the end game too. So when I go to heaven, I'm going to get a glorious body. How many of you are totally satisfied with your bodies out there? Perfect body. Okay, somebody bent back in denial. That's you, Ray. Okay, I'll talk to you later, man. Um, yeah, hey, we all got issues with our body, right? Too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny. And it, the list goes on and on, especially for you ladies. I, I feel so sorry for ladies living in this crazy culture. Uh, again, sa Satan sends so many evil and destructive messages to women about what they need to look like. and it, It's wrong. You've got to claim it as that claim the truth of God about how much he loves you just the way you are. 
But I'll tell you, here's some good news. When we get to heaven, we're all going to have perfect bodies. We're going to have glorious bodies. We're going to have wonderful, great bodies. And we're going to meet each other and say, man, you've got such a great body. You look awesome. You haven't changed at all in a million years. And, you know, I'll look back at you and I'll say the same thing. Wow, you look great today. No doubt. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, we're just a bag of bones. And all of us who are growing older know that, right? <laughs> we're reminded the pains, the aches, the health issues that come up in our life. We're going downhill. I forget what the peak is, like, I don't know, 23 or 25, and then it's downhill after that. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, you pick up speed, right? <laughs> the point being is that we're going to have a glorious body. And won't that be a wonderful thing? That's something we can look forward to. Well, the whole point I'm trying to drive home here is treasure principle number three in Alcorn's book. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Now, why don't Christians get excited about heaven? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, they don't understand what heaven is going to be like. It's interesting. The Bible tells us more of what heaven is not going to be like than what it is going to be like. Because we can't comprehend how great heaven is going to be. It's going to be an upgrade. It's not like 1.0 to 2.0. It's like 1.0 to 200,000.0. And God's been working on this a long time. And as I mentioned last week, this earth is great if it didn't have sin in it. And He's going to create another wonderful place that we're going to enjoy so much. And I think one of the greatest things that we all can relate to is there's not going to be any pain there's not going to be any suffering. What kind of pain have you gone through this past week? Physical pain? Emotional pain? Spiritual pain? What kind of burdens are you carrying this morning? Relational burdens? Your spouse, your kids, somebody else in your life? Things are just not working. Financial burdens, oh, a lot of people are living there, right? Some of you are out of work. That is so difficult. I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. Life is really painful, isn't it? But isn't it good news that someday there will be no more pain, no more burdens, no more anxiety? And that's heaven. Something to get excited about, I think. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Another reason Christians don't look forward to heaven is because they think it's going to be so boring. You know, playing harps on clouds. they, they got so many stereotypes that are so wrong. Heaven is going to be more interesting, again, 100,000 times more interesting than this life. What we see in Scripture is we're going to be busy. We're going to be doing jobs. It's going to be kind of like this earth. But so, so much better. Don't worry. You're going to have enough to do in heaven. Millions, billions, trillions of years. You're going to be busier and more satisfied every day. Every day is going to be so much better than yesterday in heaven. That's something you can look forward to. Another reason that Christians don't look forward to heaven is because they love this earth too much. They've bought into Satan's value system. They like what Satan's put together down here. And they might be Christ followers, but... They're involved in 
selfishness and their own agenda and all different types of sins. So they don't want to think about heaven. They're thinking about the sin they're enjoying here. And some Christians are so embedded in that, and you might be one of them. And I just want to warn you, you need to repent. You need to turn around from the direction you're going in because it's a, it's a direction that's going to cause incredible pain in your life. God is going to discipline you. Well, let's continue on in studying Colossians 3. It's interesting as you look at this passage. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. We talked about that, your position in Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. We talked about that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. That's the end game we talked about. Spending eternity with Christ. But let's talk about how we do this. Let's go to the next passage here. And it says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now we're getting down to the brass tacks. How do you have an eternal perspective? How do you... Integrate that in your daily thinking and your behavior. Well, you, you have to make a decision to set, to fix your heart and your mind on Jesus Christ, on heaven. You've got to remember every day that you are a citizen of heaven and you need to live in that way. To set your heart and set your mind, that means a focus that you have. And we all know our hearts can wander so easily wander to the things that tempt us now we can be so busy with so many different things and we've taken our eyes off jesus christ we need to continue to redirect our heart to god we need to value him and we need to redirect our thinking again our mind follows our heart we think about what our heart is set on so you set your heart on god and then your mind will follow. We look at our January memory verse, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a treasure principle. Let's say this together. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One more time. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, take a few words away. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's what you do when you review verses. Okay, forget it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the idea is here, I gave you a short memory verse, first of all, uh, for your first memory verse of the year. And, and the idea is your, your uh, treasure follows your heart. We talked about that last week, right? Your treasure follows your heart. Wherever your heart goes, your treasure is going to follow. So again, the people you care about, that's where your treasure is going to go. Uh, your possessions, that's where your treasures are going to go. And if you look at your bank statement of what you spent your money on, that will give you a good idea where your heart is. And you've got to ask yourself the question, as a spiritual inventory, like we talked about last week, how much have I given to the Lord through my local church? How much have I given to other kingdom endeavors? How much have I given to needy people? Because that will tell you your spiritual temperature, how much you're giving over to the Lord, and how much a priority that is in your life. So, 
That's the eternal per, uh, perspective. It's your position in Christ. You are in Christ, seated next to the Father, in the throne room of God. And you're a citizen of heaven. That's the way you need to think. And you're going home someday to spend life with Christ, to spend life in heaven with no pain, to spend life enjoying Him in a glorious new body. Well, let's talk more about how can we do this? What's the practical application of this? How can we set our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ? So let's talk about cultivating an eternal perspective. Let's look at treasure principle number four. I should not live for the dot, but the line, Elkhorn says. That's part of the treasure principle. I should not live for the dot, but the line. Now, maybe you wondered, what in the world is this ball and yellow rope doing? <laughs> well, friends, it's all about the dot and the line. This is the dot. This is earth. This is where we're at right now. See how small it is? And this line is eternity. This is the rest of life in heaven. Now, if we were to really illustrate this, what we'd have to do is we'd have to buy a lot of rope. And we'd have to extend it through the building, out through Rockford, to the West Coast, over the Pacific Ocean, over Asia and Europe, and over the Atlantic Ocean, and then come back around and then around and around. We don't have the money to really illustrate it. That's too much rope. Because <laughs> it never ends, right? So here's the question. If this is your entire life, including eternity, where are you going to invest your resources? Where are you going to invest your time and your actions and all that kind of stuff? Where's the wisest investment? Are you going to focus it all on this dot that's so small, that's so short, or are you going to say, hey, every day I'm, I'm going to wake up living in the light of eternity. I'm going to live for eternity because that's where I'm spending the rest of my life. So every day I'm asking, okay, what can I do today that's going to make an eternal impact? Because i only got so many days left. And that's just a total different way to approach life. Our default mode is say, what can I do to make my life more satisfying? What can I do to cultivate things in my life that, again, will bring me joy and accomplish my goals and all those kinds of stuff. And that's not all wrong, but the ultimate question that everything needs to be governed by is I'm an eternal person. And I need to think eternally every day. I've got a short time here on earth, so I've got to utilize that through the power of Christ to maximize it, to make an eternal impact, because eternity is where it's at. That's where I need to focus my attention. Matthew 6.20 But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We talked about that last week. If you use all your resources to store up and make yourself feel secure and spend it on yourself and a lot of things that maybe you probably don't need to spend on, and instead you take those financial resources, the time and energy you have, and use it for God, devoting it to Him, you're going to store up your treasures in heaven. And God is going to reward you for that. And that's going to make a tremendous difference in the way that you live your life. So let's talk about this. How do you cultivate an eternal perspective? First of all, you need to invest your passion. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first His kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This passage, the context of this, is Jesus Christ is saying, don't worry about your clothes, don't worry about your food, trust in me. So what he's saying is, seek me first. Set your heart and minds daily on me, because if you're setting your heart, oh, how am I going to have enough food? How am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to do this? If that's your main focus, you're going to be dragged down, and you're not going to have an eternal perspective. No, set your mind on Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him that he's going to help you pay your mortgage. He's going to help you with the food and all the other issues going on in your life. So you start with Jesus Christ. You set your mind and heart on him, and then everything will fall in place. That needs to be the passion of your life. You need to live for Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 11, we have the Hall of Faith. This has a list of people who had incredible faith in God. And some we know very well and others that really didn't receive any type of reward in this life. Some were martyred, cut in two, it says. Yeah, but they knew that there was something better coming in heaven. Hebrews 11:16 talks about these people. Instead, they were longing for a better country. I like that. There's a country that we're going to. It's not the United States. It's God's country. That's what we have our hearts on. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. we got a city. A wonderful city. Where Jesus Christ as king. And that's what we're waiting for. That's where our heart needs to be. That needs to influence the decisions we make from day to day. So you need to invest your passion. You've got to start. <laughs> first things first, right? Jesus Christ. The second thing is you need to invest your mind. Our mind can be filled with all kinds of things. I came across this interesting information from Google in 2006. The top 10 searches of Google. This is what people are thinking about back then at least. Paris Hilton is number one. Oh, mercy. <laughs> the number one search on Google in 2006. Then Orlando Bloom and cancer and podcasting, Hurricane Katrina, bankruptcy, Martina Hingis, a tennis player, autism, the 2006 NFL draft, and Celebrity Big Brother 2006. Over that year, those are the top ten searches. That's what people are thinking about. It's okay to think about other things, but you need to fill your mind with what's most important, and that is God's Word. We see that in Romans 12, too. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, if we're going to have an eternal mindset, we need to continue to work on it day by day by day. And the one thing that transforms it is the Holy Spirit using this book in our lives. So my question for you, as you look toward this new year, 2011, what's your goal in getting to know this book better? Now, last week we talked about the fact, or excuse me, last year that is, uh, we talked about having the first 10 for God, spending that first 10 minutes with God. And that's great. I hope you did that. But 10, that's just a start, friends, Okay. If you've been doing 10, go to 20. Go to 30, wherever you're at. Spend more time with God this year. Because that's where the power comes from. That's where you really get to know Him. How many of you read through the entire Bible like we challenged you last year? How many did that? All right, give these people a hand, all right? Way to go. 
Way to go. Way to grow. Way to be committed to God's Word. And you can go one year Bible online and search that, and they can send you a daily email if you want to do that. Maybe that's your goal this year. You haven't done that, and you want to do that. That's one thing. Or maybe you've gone to the Bible in a year and say, okay, now I'd like to slow down a little bit, and I'm going to just take one book, and I'm going to study that book all year long. I'm going to go on CBD, uh, Amazon, whatever, get some commentaries. You can talk to any of the pastors, small group leaders, whatever, if you need help with that. But again, I'm going to study a particular book, and I'm really going to dive into it. So that's, how, that's your goal for there. That's, that's your next step, getting to know God's Word better. Maybe you memorize all the verses uh, that we talked about uh, last year, our monthly verses. And you're going to do it again, hopefully, this year. But step it up. Have your own verse of the month. Okay, I'll memorize Springbrook's verse, and I'll memorize my verse. Or how about a whole chapter? How many have memorized an entire chapter of Scripture? All right, excellent. How many a whole book of Scripture? All right, I memorized the book of James back in college. I could not do it again. My mind is atrophied so much. It's amazing. It's shocking. It's scary. But the point being is do what you can. Memorize and get to know Scripture. And then study Scripture. Be here on Sunday mornings. Get, be a part of a, a small group. We're going to kick that off next week week and man you need to get a part of a small group if you're saying oh i i like i like springbrook but i don't feel like it's home well hey get involved in a small group or ministry get to know people here that's your next step take that step and and get engaged and i want to speak to you men for a second the bible is very clear about the fact that you are the spiritual leader of the home and you're going to be held accountable for that before jesus christ He's going to ask you, well, how are you doing leading your home? And, and uh, I know some of you are saying, well, I can't be the spiritual leader of my home. My wife is just so far ahead of me. She has been a Christian for so many years. And I know, I know so little about the Bible. I don't know what to do. Well, friends, for you guys who are out there like that, i got two words. This is what you need to do this year to be the spiritual leader in your home. Show up. Show up. You know what we're doing here at Springbrook? We're teaching people the Word of God. And all you have to do is show up and bring your family along. You say, okay, family, every Sunday we are going to be at Springbrook Community Church unless we have a really good reason not to. I'm a little disappointed today. Attendance is down, and I know why. It's because of the Chicago Bear game. I'm all for the Chicago Bears. But I tell you what, people could have come to the 9 o'clock service, right? That's a sign of maturity, friends. You've got to be committed. Hey, are you going to take off work because of the Chicago Bear game? I don't think so. You're going to write a letter to school saying, God, Chicago Bears are playing. I'm not coming in. Come on. Mature. All right? So I'm telling you men, all you have to do is say, family, we're going to grow this year. We're going to get to know the Word of God. And I know I don't know a lot about it, but I'm going to lead the way, and I'm going to learn the Word of God. I'm going to be at services on a weekly basis. I'm going to be part of a small group, and I'm going to make sure that my kids are involved in Awana and Kids of the Kingdom and, and junior high and senior high. You've you got to build into your kids, man. You need to show up. Some of you are spiritual wimps. You have been hiding behind excuses. It's time to stop. It's time to man up. 
All you have to do is show up. All right. Now, moving on here. You need to invest your actions. Invest your actions. 1 Peter 2.11 Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Hey, it's tough. <laughs> you got your sinful desires. you got the world system that's working against you. You've got Satan working against you. So, so you need to, again, consistently try to be like Christ for His power. Uh, Colossians 3.12-14 is a great passage because we looked at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. That said, hey, you're positioned in Christ. You've got a great future. You've got to set your minds on Christ. But now we get down to the nuts and bolts here. What do you need to do on a daily basis? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly to love, clothe yourselves. Now, you all got dressed today. It's a good thing. You clothe yourselves. But you get dressed every day, right? Many times you get dressed a couple different times a day. Well, that's the idea here. You've got to continue to put these things on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Oh, I get tired just reading that passage. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff to do. So just pick out one. Oh, it's uh, Patience, no doubt. Right now I need patience in my life, patience with circumstances, patience with people. So that's where my focus is going to be. So as I go into this week, I'm going to say, Lord, I need patience. I can't do it on my own. I'm not going to run it on my gas engine. I need, I need your electricity flowing through me. So I know when you pray for patience, it's, <laughs> things get worse. But I want patience, all right? Now, we're going to read through this again, and I want you to determine what you need most. And then I'm going to ask you to shout it out together at the end. It's different for everybody, okay? Okay, what do you need? Therefore, as God's chosen people, you're a citizen of heaven, holy and dearly loved. Remember who you are, where you belong, where your home is. Clothe yourselves. Is it compassion? Is it kindness? Is it humility? Gentleness? Patience? Are you having to bear with somebody that's driving you nuts? Are you, ha you having to forgive somebody who sinned against you? Or you need just to put on love? Okay, I'm going to go one, two, three, and then I want you to yell out what it is that God wants you to work out. One, two, three. Patience. One more time. One, two, three. Patience. Very good. All right. Now you got your homework for the week, right? No doubt. That's what you need to do every day. You've got to identify where does God need to work in my life. And then you need to call on God's power to make it happen. And the great thing about this is God rewards us. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He has done. We could just follow God and obey Him because of His love and what He's done for us, but He's going to reward us. And I love to be rewarded, don't you? I can remember back when I was maybe fifth grade. I was going to vacation Bible school at Temple Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois, and they had a contest. Whoever brought the most friends to vacation Bible school will get a summer pass to Arnold Palmer's putting course. Somebody owned it in our church, and I wanted that. My mom and I teamed up together, and we got, I don't know how many kids out of the VBS, and I won! I won, and yes, I did, a free pass, and ah, oh, what a glorious summer. 
I'd walk a half hour back and forth, Arnold Palmer, and I'd just putt my little heart out. I'm not a golfer today, but I like to putt. Uh, and then i go get some ice cream next door. That's probably the beginning of a bad pattern. I don't know. But all that to say is I'd like to be rewarded. And we say, well, it's not spiritual to be rewarded. Well, God is rewarding us. <laughs> he wants to motivate us, and he knows how we think. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, I want eternal rewards. So I'm going to work hard for them. Now, now, you say, well, we can't talk about that then because if, if I went to heaven and, and there was someone who had more rewards than I did, I would be jealous. I would be angry. I would feel bad about it. No, 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 you're perfect. Remember, you're not going to feel that way. You're going to go up to somebody and say, hey, way to go on earth. Good job. Look at all the rewards you have. I'm so happy for you because you're perfect. Bottom line, friends, is that some of us are going to have a lot more rewards than others. It's in God's Word. Don't you want rewards? God says, hey, they're here. Invest in the line. Don't put your resources here. Invest in the line for a better eternity. All right? So important. The uh, fourth thing is invest your money. And the treasure principle number one, God owns everything and I'm the money manager. We've talked about that last week. It's all God's resources. It's not ours. And this is the treasure principle that he talks about. You can't take it with you, but you can't, excuse me, but you can send it on ahead. So, again, the idea is you have these resources on earth. You can't take it with you. When you die, no matter how wealthy you might be, you're not taking anything with you. So you can spend all your resources on yourself and not have any rewards, not have any investment in heaven. Or you can say, okay, God, I'm going to manage your resources. I'm going to follow your lead. And I'm going to make an investment in eternity. I'm going to live in the light of eternity. I'm going to send my treasures ahead. Well, that's what we need to do. That's how you have an eternal perspective. You think of Moses. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. <laughs> the most luxurious household probably in the world of that day. Pharaoh was incredibly rich. Moses had everything. Now look what it says in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith again. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Don't you love that? Moses had everything, but he turned away from it to follow God, to save the Jewish people. God used him in that way for his eternal reward. We'll talk more about this next week. But we just got to guard our hearts from materialism. It can suck us up, especially in our culture. So we need to invest our money. Next thing is we need to invest our time. Invest our time in ministry, 1 Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So we need to use the gift God has given us. When you become a Christian, you receive one or more spiritual gifts. Gift of helps, gift of uh, excuse me, knowledge, gift of teaching, discernment, encouragement. It goes on and on. And we're supposed to use those gifts. God just didn't give us those gifts to you know, use for ourselves, but we're supposed to use it to help other people. You need to know your gift. Take our spiritual gift class. It will help you to discover what gifts you might have. 
and, and we're administering God's grace. What better thing to administer? Imagine if you had a job in a family foundation. You were paid very well to give $10,000 a day to someone. One family. You could choose anybody. $10,000 a day. That'd be a cool job, wouldn't it? <laughs> that'd be a great job. It'd be a reality show, no doubt. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, that'd be great. Well, friends, we got something better than money to give away. We've got God's grace to give away. Every day, we can show the love of God to people. We can show the understanding of God to people, the forgiveness of God to people, the power of God to people. We can show the most important thing in this world, Jesus Christ. That is the grace we can show as we use our gifts and we're involved in ministry. But we need to get engaged. Think about the Bears game today. It is exciting, no doubt. What if some of the third stringers said, yeah, they never use me. I've been here for three years, and they never used me, so I'm not showing up today. Right? Well, there are people like that in every church. Uh, look at Springbrook. We probably have maybe, I don't know, 60% of our people engaged. That's pretty good, but hey, we're doing the most important work in the world, getting the good news out, helping people to grow in their faith in God. We need everybody on the field. That's the great thing about uh, the ministry game. Everybody plays. You don't have to sit on the bench. And some of you might be out there and say, well, I'm not involved in ministry, but, but I give. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. But that's kind of like a husband who comes and sits home and comes home and sits on the couch and the wife asks for help around the house. Hey, I bring home the bacon. All right. That's all I do here. Hey, it doesn't work that way, does it? You're part of the family. You've got to be engaged in ministry. You've been, you've been here a year at Springbrook and you've not engaged in any ministry. There's a problem there. Because that's the way this family works. We work together in ministry. And that's one of the things we're going to be focusing on this year, getting everybody involved in ministry. Because not only is it a blessing to other people, it's an incredible blessing to you. So think about where God wants you to go. Well, what's your next step in ministry? Maybe you're not involved, so you need to get involved. Maybe you're already involved, so you need to get involved more. Maybe you need to rise to the leadership level. You need to take more responsibility on Things you need to think about. And again, there's a reward. Ephesians 6, 8. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. There's always a bonus. Number six, invest your life. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. There is nothing that will sink you with an eternal perspective than reaching out to lost people. When you have a heart for lost people, for your neighbor, for your coworker, for other people that you know, you realize this is very serious. If people don't turn to Jesus, they're going to spend eternity without him. We asked uh, you to fill out a survey about a month ago. And who do you know who's come to Christ here at Springbrook through the influence of our family together? And we haven't really studied it thoroughly, but roughly maybe 150 people over the last five years. Now, that, that's something to celebrate. 150 people have come to Christ. When you think about that, that's only 25 people a year who God has used us 
to bring into the kingdom. Well, that's good, but that's not good enough, friends. The size of church we have, the resources we have, we've got to improve that. We need to restore our passion for evangelism. So one of the things we're praying for this year is that 52 people would make a decision to follow Christ through the influence of our ministry. 52 people. Let's double it. Let's pray that God would use us in that way. There's nothing magical about that number one a week. Whatever. He might give us 40. He might give us 60. But it's good to shoot at something, right? It's good to pray specifically. God, we want to see 52 transformed lives. And one just happened this past week in Awana. Amen? Amen. A second great girl. Second great girl who came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I came to Christ when I was five years old. Most people become Christians before they're 18. Friends, that's one out of 52. Tell me if there's more yet this year, okay? I want to keep track of this. But friends, we need to have a heart to see lost people come to Christ. As we think about this eternal perspective, I like what Amy Mark Carmichael says. We will have an eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. Time is short, much shorter than you and I think. That's why every day is important. Every day needs to be a kingdom day, an eternal impact day. We need to have eyes on eternity. That's pretty good. Today, Father, I want to thank you for this incredible passage. The other passages here that speak of how we need to live our lives. We fall so short, short, Lord. I fall so short, but you're not asking us to be perfect, Lord. You're just asking us to grow day by day, to have a little more of the eternal perspective in our lives. Empower us to do that. In Christ's name, amen. Like Tracy Dowdle to come up at this point. We're going to have a mission moment, ministry moment, talking about getting engaged in ministry, right? And Tracy, what are some of the different ministries you've been involved in? Uh, right now in Kids of the Kingdom, I'm the age group coordinator for second and third. And I'm teaching in second and third. And I've also worked with um, kindergarten and first graders, toddlers. Well, thank so. you so much. And what do you enjoy about ministry? I really love the relationships. If you get involved in ministry, you make great friends and relationships. And um, just reaching the kids. Kids are our future. And if you love to serve God um, and kids, if you love kids, it's a great ministry to get involved in. Uh, that's great. Uh, tell us a little more about Kids of the Kingdom and what are some of the needs there. Well, really any of the age groups need help. So if you love babies, you could get your fix with a baby or all the way up to, you know, fourth or fifth grade. Any age group that you think you'd be interested in. And you don't have to be the lead teacher. You could be an assistant or a helper. Um, also, we have a music uh, ministry in Kids of the Kingdom. So if you like music, you can work kids with that. So uh, It's a wonderful entry-level position. If you're like, I don't know where to go, well, help out with our children. And uh, you just have to care about kids. And uh, again, there's an insert here. I would encourage you uh, to fill uh, this out. And uh, somebody will give you a call and tell you a little more. It's not, you're not making a commitment here. You just have questions. And maybe you can do a first serve. That's just shadowing somebody for a day, 
And then, if you like it, you can go back and try it again. Or if you don't, you can try something else. So I encourage you to take advantage of our first serve ministry. Thank you, Tracy, so much. If we could have our ushers come forward. At this time, hey, I got some exciting news for you guys. You ready for this? Our year-end offering. Year-end offering. We had a goal of $30,000 to raise funds for the ministry in Belize, as well as raise funds for our outreach, uh, warming up our ministry center. Well, you have given to God $32,000. Amen? (laughs) Thank you so much for your generosity. And you know what? Only half of our congregation has given, of the giving units that we typically have on a monthly basis. So that means there can be so much more. And if you haven't given, my question is why? Why wouldn't you want to invest in this eternal project of touching lives and beliefs in this area? Five, ten dollars. Just give something to let God know that you're interested in what we're doing together as a family. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for providing for this year-end offering. Thank you so much for the generosity of our people that has just seen year after year after year. Lord, you provide for us in so many ways. I pray that we will continue to trust in you for everything. In Christ's name, amen.